Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? It's nice to see you all. Uh, My name is Dalton. I am the Youth and Small Groups Director here at Glory Church, um, and we are going through the book of Jonah. Um, how many of you guys watched Veggie Tales? Some of us? Yes. How many of you heard about Jonah in a children's book when you were growing up? Some of us? How many of you that have been in this series have learned something new about Jonah's heart that you didn't understand when you were a child? Anybody else? Yeah. So we're, we're, uh, this is going to be chapter 3 of Jonah, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, um, chapter 3 of Jonah is what we're going to be going through. But first, before we get into chapter 3, I feel like we need to kind of review where we've been with Jonah before, because we, we took a week off for Father's Day, we went through Isaiah 61, and that was really good, um, but it's easy to forget kind of what's been going on. So Jonah chapter 1, we talked about three weeks ago, and the main thing we talked about was pride. The reason we talked about pride is because Jonah was a servant of God, right? This is a man of the Lord. Uh, When people look at Jonah, they see him as the, maybe how some of you see the Greg of our church or the pastors or the leaders, right? That's how people would look at Jonah. In fact, Jonah was a prophet. And so he was gifted at hearing the voice of the Lord and giving it to other people. It's an important thing, right? So... Jonah, one day, is, is the Lord comes to him, and the Lord tells him something that he wants to go deliver a message to the people of Nineveh. Now, this is a people group that are wicked. There's no other word to describe it, but wicked. Uh, the, the things that they do are so far away from the Lord, and the Lord is so displeased with what Nineveh is doing that he feels like he has to destroy them because of the sin. But because the Lord is who he is, he wants to give them another chance. And so he goes to Jonah one day and says, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh and tell them that they must turn towards me or they're going to be overthrown. And the story would be very simple if Jonah had just done that. But many of us know in here that he did not. What did he do? He ran the exact opposite way. He gets on a ship He's with some sailors who know nothing of God. And, and the funny part that we talked about in week one is that Jonah is a prophet. He understands the nature of God, right? He understands, like, who God is, and he also understands that he cannot run from God. So why is he running? And I think the question that Jonah was asking was, God, how much do you care about it being me that is going to deliver this message? Isn't there somebody else that could have done it? And he, he, he gets on the ship and he's trying to run from the Lord, but we see how the Lord chases after him. The Lord sends a storm and, and it hits the boat and he ends up getting thrown off and then he's swallowed by a fish and all of these crazy things happen. But a big thing we talked about in week one was the first thing that we often believe that Jonah ran because of was because of fear fear of what the Ninevites would do to him. But as we read the book of Jonah, we see that it all comes down to pride. You see, Jonah didn't believe 
that the Ninevites deserve the Lord's mercy. How many times do we look from where we're at on our pedestal and decide for people around us what kind of mercy they deserve? The Lord said, my mercy is for all. And so he's swallowed by a fish, but this fish is really, it's a symbol of, of mercy from the Lord. And then in, in week two, two weeks ago, we talked about Jonah in the belly of the fish. And this is where Jonah is going to get it all right. You know, Jonah's going to see the Lord. And he prays this really like spiritual prayer, but we see that his heart has still not repented. He, we talked about in week two how he's submitted to the duty to do the duty of the Lord, but he does not delight in it. But because he decides that he's going to do it, the Lord still blesses him. The fish spits him out, and he's on the, the dry land, and this is where we find him today in Jonah 3. And we're going to talk about the connection between a perfect God with perfect characteristics and a flawed man. Can I tell you that everyone in this room, you take the place of Jonah today. How many of us are living right now in pride, in the same pride that Jonah was living in? How do we react to a Lord that is perfect? Let's open it up in Jonah 3, if you're turned there. We're going to start in just verses 1 through 2. Because it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, the message that I tell you. And I read it like that because I feel like the Lord's like, arise and go to Nineveh now. Like do it. How many of you are feeling like a sense of deja vu if you were here for the first week? Because we've been here before, right? The, these same words have been spoken before. And as I was reading it this week, I was like, God, I think I was asking the same question as Jonah, why? Why go through all of this? Why send the storm? Why send the fish? I think Jonah's questioning it too. Lord, can there not be any other person that can bring this word to the Ninevites? Is there no other prophet, no other man of God? And that's kind of how we see Jonah's pride rise. He's like, man, it must just be me. If the Lord cares so much about me, I must be the only one who can do this. I will do it. But that's not the heart of the Lord. You see, the Lord is, is, is searching after Jonah. Like I said this morning, I want us to look at the interweaving of the character of a perfect God and the purpose of a flawed man. I think I've messed these up. Sorry. All good. So... Uh, it made me think about this word participation and, and the difference between uh, uh, participation and um, uh, being the uh, protagonist in your life. Have you allowed yourself to become the main character like Jonah was? The first thing that I want us to learn today, as we ask ourselves the question, why Jonah? is God doesn't need Jonah for his will to be accomplished, but he does desire for Jonah to participate. How many of you, how many of us, me, have been putting ourselves in the spot that, Lord, you must need me. No, he simply wants you 
to participate. It's so hard for us to understand because we serve a God who cares so much about one person that in the midst of saving a whole nation, he follows after Jonah. What? I read that it was like 120,000 people in Nineveh. He cares about Jonah's heart. What kind of God is this? In 2 Peter, we see the words, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The word echoes the heart of the Father. He is not satisfied that any would not come to repentance, and so the search after Jonah's heart. I wonder how many in this room that God is searching after your heart. You felt like I'm doing pretty good. I'm in a pretty good spot. Look at all these people. Look at my workplace. Look at, look at the people around me. These people are filthy, God. And the Lord looks at you and sees pride. He sees other th- sins, and he wants to go in and change that for you. In 1 Timothy, it says it is written uh, that God desires for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In Matthew, we see the depiction of him leaving the 99 to find the one. God believes Jonah's heart is worthy of his time and effort. And the problem in Jonah's life, if we look back at at chapter 2 of Jonah, is that he's placed himself as the protagonist of the story instead of the participant. In verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2, it's not up there, but this is what Jonah prays, and I want you to hear it in the tone that I think Jonah had. This is where he's looking at God, and he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those that do that. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you for what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. If we're gonna make a dramatic production of this Jonah prayer, who do you think the spotlight is on as he's like on his knees praying to God? It's on Jonah. It's not on the Lord. And as we, look at the, as, we, as we look at the heart of Jonah, I want us to ask ourselves, have I been playing the protagonist or the participant? And I understand that uh, participation has kind of like a negative connotation. Uh, any sports dads in the room or sports guys? Do you know what I, where I'm going with participation? It has like a negative connotation. Dade's looking at me. There's like a a big argument nowadays about uh, participation trophies and should every kid get a medal or every kid get a trophy? Anybody ever heard of that? Back when I was younger, it it felt like, you know, just like only the winners got the trophies. But then it made me think of, I grew up uh, playing travel baseball and we played in some pretty big tournaments and I remember one specific tournament um, we, we played pretty well. We got to the end. Uh, we made it to the championship. I don't remember how the championship game went, how many runs or whatever, but I remember that we lost. And uh, if any of you ever played sports with me, you know that I did not like that. And uh, it was such a big tournament that I think first, like the, the, the team that won the championship, 
the team that lost the championship and then the one that wrote, like won the consolation trophy or whatever, the third place, like all of the kids got trophies and not just like a, like a normal trophy. It was like a, like a over a foot high trophy I got. It was like one of those, like it's kind of the oval shape. It has the base, it has the figurine. It was like bright green. And when I set it on like my nightstand, I had other like champion trophies, but this one was like bigger than the champion ones. Can I tell you that I hated that trophy? I hated it. And it's because at the top of that trophy was a number two. And I hated that <laughs> that trophy was a reminder of how I had not done enough. I had not proved I was the best baseball player. I had not like proved that my team was good enough. I was number two. Oh, little Dalton hated that. <laughs> like, I've gotten better at it now. How disappointed would young Dalton have been to see that Dalton now has submitted everything his life to be the credit for someone else? He would have been disappointed. That, that everything I am is humbled, it's bowed, I die daily so that everything I do points to someone that is greater than me. It doesn't fit with our world. But I also thought about how little Dalton would have been so pleased to see that the anxieties that he faced as a child have made way for peace. The depths of, of sorrow and pain that he felt have made way for joy. Because I have submitted to something that is greater than me. If we play the protagonist in our own lives, we will struggle to find joy and peace and love. Can I say that some of you are here at Glory Church today instead of your old church because you were hurt by leaders that played the protagonist instead of the participant. It happens all the time how easy it is for me to put myself in the spotlight. Some of you wonder why you haven't seen spiritual fruit in your lives, even though you've been doing the things and accomplishing the tasks. Is it maybe because it's putting yourself first as the protagonist does not bring real joy. It does not bring real peace. You can do all of the spiritual garb, all of the things, but it will not amount to anything without the Lord, without you participating with the Lord. You see, many of us have went from unbelievers who, who strive and, and want to accomplish to believers that do it, with, but with a party banner with the name Jesus written on it. There's a difference. A while ago, I was, I was floored by one of my friends, and some of you will know um, who I'm talking about. And this is a good thing. I won't say his name because he wouldn't want the credit for it. But he has a rolling document of all of the relationships in his life, all of the people. And what he does is each day he goes to this document and he prays over each one. He writes out what, what he thinks they're going through, what, what the Lord is speaking over them. 
And as time goes by and as he prays through these things, he gets to experience their change. He gets to experience their transformation. All of his joy comes from seeing the people around him be lifted high. And it was so challenging to me. How easy is it for me to do all of the things and then be like, Dalton, why don't you feel joyful today? It's because I'm not experiencing the things that people are, are, are living in around me. I imagine one day he looked at God and said, God, I'm good at making spreadsheets or PowerPoints or whatever. How can I do this and participate in what you're already doing? Because you have a great work. Can I tell you that every single person in this room, the Lord has a work for you. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. The Lord simply needs your participation in it. Jonah had the chance at participation. But if you're feeling convicted and you're like, okay, Dalton, like I've been playing the protagonist at least in some parts of my life and I have no idea like where to go with this, we have a roadmap here and it's really good. And if you want to put up verse three, we're going to read verses three through nine. This is the good part. This is really the only redeeming part of the book of Jonah as I look at Greg laughing because we've been like, man, this is heavier than just the fish story from, from the children's books. Verse three says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So he listens. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh, what? Believed God. Praise God. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. We're fasting. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out. He's even having the beast call out mightily to God. They're mooing. Let... Let everyone turn from his evil way, all the animals too, and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Because I don't know this God, but he sounds like he might be willing to let us go. God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I want you to picture Jonah for a second. Because Jonah goes through all of this. He's been chased. He's been, he's been hit with a storm. He's been swallowed by a whale. He's built up in his mind, oh God, I must be the one to do this. And then he says eight words. One sentence, if you read it here. He goes in and he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Doesn't have to say anything else. Doesn't need any spirituality. Doesn't need any perfection because the Lord was already doing the work. That is who our God is. He did not need Jonah. And in fact, he made it happen so fast to prove to Jonah that you were not needed and you're still failing to participate. This merciful God 
that cared so much about the city of Nineveh and also cared about Jonah is the main character. Does that take weight off your shoulders this morning? You do not have to be the protagonist. And if you were convinced earlier about you being like Jonah, that you've been doing this, making yourself the main character, we have the roadmap because we see people from small to large, from peasants to kings, what do they do? They take off what identified them and they put on a sack. The king takes off his robe, he takes off his crown if he had one, and he puts on a sack. And he says, Lord, I've been letting myself dictate who I'm going to be. I've allowed my kingship to dictate me being as the protagonist, so I take it off. If somebody around would have looked at the king, would they have known he was a king? other than maybe like a really groomed beard? No. They would have had no idea. And as he looks at himself in this like burlap sack, I don't know what a sack cloth is. Maybe Greg can tell us later. But it's not that attractive, is it? It's humbling. And the Lord said, yes. Yes. Because that sack was so beautiful to God. He loved that sack. How many of us need to take off what has been defining us? What you have allowed to be who you are and put on a sack and say, God, wherever you go, I will follow. I've been leading the way in my spirituality. I've been making the decisions. Everybody else around me, they're like, oh man, Dalton's doing so good. But the Lord is the only one who sees that I've become what I had on instead of who I'm participating with. Some of us in this room need to ask ourselves why we play on the worship band up here. Because it is so easy to allow how we play an instrument or how I look up on stage to be what dictates my heart instead of allowing ourselves simply to participate in what the Lord is already doing. We could have the worst singer in this room come up here and sing but if it was for the Lord, oh, God can use it. Some of us need to play the sack as an instrument. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Some in this room have been maintaining relationships that you know are not good for you. Friendships boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. And your response has been, Lord, I can change them. You cannot change them. While you're dating them, the Lord can change them, sure. But you can also expect for your heart to be changed as you walk away from what God has called you to and towards them. Because everything that I surround myself with, that I let define me, when I let my relationship define me and it's not consecrated to the Lord, it will change me. My friendships will change me. 
it's so easy to allow ourselves the relationship to define us. My marriage with my wife is, is the greatest thing that I have here on earth, but I have something even greater. Some of the husbands in this room, we need to remove this idea that the world has given or where it's come from, I don't know, that we have to always be strong, immovable, plain-faced leader. When we participate with what the Lord is doing, each of you husbands are simply holding his hand. That's pretty humble. But when we put up this wall of I am the leader, we help no one. You can lead, but when the Lord pushes you out to lead like he did Jonah, check how you've been participating. You see, Nineveh is just the continuation of what God said in 1 Chronicles 7, 14. Some of you have this on your wall if you're still about those kind of quotes on your wall. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is our main character, God. Your land is your community around you. If you want your community to change, then participate. Can you put up verse 10 here? This is the, the final to the story, and it's beautiful. Because when God saw what they did, how he saw what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. It's pretty anticlimactic, right? He just like doesn't do something. That's the end of the chapter. But where the Lord is not doing something, he is giving a new chance at life for a lot, a lot of people. How many of us in this room need that? Need a second chance at life? Greg's going to play a song. And it really spoke to me this week. Because the song opens with the lyrics, let him turn it in your favor. Watch him work it for your good. Because he's not done with what he started. He's not done until it's good. Can I tell you that if you sit in this room right now and you've been feeling the weight, you've been feeling the pain, and you feel the Lord telling you, man, you've been taking control. It is not too late. Let him turn it in your favor. He's not done until it's good. I love the next words of the song because they go, hello, peace. Hello, joy. Hello, love. It's the greatest thing you could ever experience to feel real peace. Some of you, as you sit today, you need to say hello, peace, because it seems like a long lost friend. Some of us in this room need to say hello to joy. Hello to love. In the song, they say hello, strength. 
Hello, hope. It's a new horizon. Some in this room have been hurting this week. And as you've listened, you know that in many cases you have allowed it to become about you. Right now it's hard to think about what steps to take because of the pain or the pressure or the sadness or the weight. The good news is you simply must participate. You get to take your hands off the wheel and say, Lord, you dictate my life. For Jonah, he thought it was a really big thing to go to the people of Nineveh. And the Lord said, all I need is eight words. How many things have you not been participating in because you overestimated what the Lord needed from you? He just needs your participation. Hello, peace. Hello, joy. Hello, love. I love how God put Jonah through all of these things. He, he threw him out into the ocean in the middle of a storm. He's getting, you know, rocked in the boat, rocked by the waves. The storm stops. He's like, oh, okay, good. Gets swallowed by a fish. He's in the fish for three days, and then he spit out. And then the Lord looks at him and says, arise and go. And I tell you right now, arise, go. If your desire is real peace, real joy, real love, arise. It is not too late. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you are peace, that you are joy, that you are love, that you are hope. And God, our brains struggle so much to even realize the extent of that, to even feel the weight of it. But if we get just a portion of your love, of your peace, what would it do for the people around us? If I woke up tomorrow and I felt emboldened by your peace, what could I do? What could I participate in? So God, I pray over everyone in this room right now that we would identify what is it that we desire. Is it peace? Is it joy? Is it love? Is it hope? Bring it to our minds, Father. You are the only way. We simply wish to participate. I pray that in our communities this week, that these words would flow out of us. That as we simply get to participate, it would become us. That it would never be about the things that we can do or the person that I can be, but everything you are in and through me. Lord, I feel right now some hearts need to break this morning because we've put up walls that should not be there. They have no place there, Father. Tear them down. Tear down the wall of anxiety. Tear, tear down the wall of fear, God, as we participate with you and restore it with what you want to restore it with. We surrender to your way, to your will, Father. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.